But we're going to begin now looking at godly men. And we need to do this because even as we saw through the last nine weeks for the women, women don't know what they're supposed to do anymore. Our culture has stripped that from them. And when you start talking biblically what a woman should do and be like, then uh, the spirit realm cries feminist, excuse me, calls misogynist, calls a sexist. But you know, God made women to be women. And just like he made women to be women, he made men to be men. And so one of the things I've observed as a pastor and just a man in America, men in our country don't know how to be men anymore. We have a real popular thing called metrosexual, which is basically you're half man, half woman, you're real fashionable, and you have soft hands and don't know how to be a man. But God made you to be a man, so bless God, be a man. And unfortunately, you think, we, how could we forget how to be a man? Well, it takes about 50 years of American culture dissolving to teach you how to not be a man anymore. We're going to start showing you how to be a man and what the Bible says about being a man. And if I offend you, good, because it's all going to be from the Bible. So we've got nine lessons. This one's called the creation of man. Then we have the man of authority. Then we have the attributes of Ahab. There could have never been a Jezebel without Ahab. So we're going to see what Ahab did to allow Jezebel to destroy people. Because a lot of husbands do that. They don't run their home like they should. And the wife grows up to be a Jezebel lesbian. Then you have the man of labor because men should work and get a job. And the Bible says that if they don't, they're worse than an infidel and have denied the faith. And then after that, we have uh, the godly husband. Then we have the godly father. Uh, then we have the man of integrity and honor. Then we have two lessons on sexual purity, which is easily every man's struggle, sexual sin. So those are our nine lessons. But let's look at this. We want to get into the creation of man. What's going to offend you, ladies, if you have any feminism or racism or sexism or lesbianism in you is the fact that God made us men first. Here's the thing. Nobody here alive had anything to do with it. Amen. Sorry. Even the New Testament says, for the man was made first and not the woman, but the woman was in transgression. And that doesn't mean the woman's any less. If you were here to go through nine weeks of the teaching that my wife did on godly women, you see how powerful, how strong, how anointed, how hardworking a godly woman really is and how much authority she really does have when she operates according to her design. What we really see in our culture, not just ours, but around the world, because it's a spirit of rebellion, we see that a man has a use designed of God and a woman has a use designed of God. And what the world system and the devil wants to do is to pervert it or twist it. And I always use it like uh, if you're called to be a pipe wrench and somebody wants to use you as a hammer, you're going to be broken. And if you're called to be a screwdriver, but somebody wants to use you as a pipe wrench, you're not going to work. And what the devil and the world system and culture has done is try to talk you into being something you're not. And unfortunately, men have been taught to sit down, take a back seat, be soft, be squishy, don't rise up, don't lead, don't be a man of authority, don't take charge, let the woman do that. Men, you should just be soft, squishy bunny rabbits. And God will say, where are you, O man of God? Where are you? Where are you? In fact, uh, even Barak in the book of Judges, he was afraid he scared a cat and he had to keep running to a woman, Deborah the prophetess, for help. And God said, fine, if you won't do your job, a woman will, and she'll get all your honor. And that stuff's still going on today. Men won't rise up and do their job. Therefore, the women must, and the women get all the honor. But God did not ordain this as such from the beginning. So let's look at our curriculum there, see what we've written. And let's look at this thing called the creation of man. Perhaps the most needful, the most needful question to be asked by man is, why am I here? That is a good question. The most needful question to be asked by man is, why am I here? I'm glad you asked. There's a lot of confusion in this day and age why we're here. You know, we're not going to ponder the mysteries of life. We know life. It's Jesus Christ. 
This is not a freshman college classes. Why am I here? Why am I here? Now we've got that settled. God made you. That's why you're here. And God wants to do something powerful through you. That's why you're here. So you need to rise up and be what God called you to be, which is a man or a woman, and then do that ordained of God. Why am I here? Why did God create me? To answer, uh, the answer to these questions are found in the book of Genesis, and they will begin to show us what makes a man a godly and holy man. That's what you need to be. Why did God make us? He didn't make us so we could just live and work 40 hours a week and, and go home on the weekend and watch football and, and drive a nice car and then go back and do it all again on Monday. There's a, there's a greater reason than you just working a nine to five and a 401k and a pension and retirement and a hobby or two or three or four and kids and then retirement and then you die. There's a lot more for you than just this. Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Notice the word dominion over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them. One of the things we want to see here is man is made different from anything else. And you've got to understand, man. And let me, let me add this in there so you ladies with your feminist, sexist, racist, lesbian tendencies don't get offended. Man throughout the entire Bible is understood to be both male and female. It's mankind. We understand that. In fact, it says there in that passage, if you look at it, male and female created he them. He created man, but male and female created he them. So man was a them until Genesis 3 when he separates the two and he forms woman. He builds her. So even right here in the very beginning, man is both male and female. We don't want to go too deep or weird into that. But both were in man when man was first made. And then God takes woman out of man. Why? Because God wanted to. That's how he does things, because he wants to. We're not going to try to understand, well, because of this and the stars and astrology and this goofiness and tarot cards, this and all that weirdness. No, he did it because he wanted to. But he made man. And man's made different from anything else. Uh, man is the first creation to be created in the image and likeness of God. Nothing else has ever been created in the image and likeness of God. And part of that image and likeness is the fact that you men and women, but man first, you have dominion. That's the very first thing he said. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. That's what makes us, in the, part of what makes us in the image and nature of God. We have dominion. Dominion means you You dominate. Dominion means everywhere you go, you control the atmosphere. Dominion means when you show up, you're authorized to do things. This is one of the things we're seeing attack man and Christians in the earth. We're being talked out of our dominion and we're being talked out of our authority and we're being told to sit down, be quiet and take a back seat and don't lead and don't take charge. Because one, one of the things we may see in the weeks ahead, man, if you don't rise up and take charge, somebody else will and you'll become a slave to them, and they'll run your home, they'll run your wife, they'll run your family. If you don't rise up and take charge over your thoughts, if you don't rise up and take dominion over your attitude, if you don't take dominion over your flesh, those things will always control you, and you will be defined by what you don't dominate. Man, you will be defined by what you do not dominate. If you can't help but always think about sex and you don't take dominion over that, you'll be defined by that. If all you think about is football, you'll be defined by that. So you've been given dominion to exercise in the earth so that you define things and things don't define you. If Adam had not taken dominion over animals, the animals would have dominated. Does that make sense to you? 
In fact, we know he ultimately slipped and did not take dominion over a snake. And for 4,000 years, a snake dominated. And even to this day, O man, if you do not take your dominion and use it, that snake will still dominate your life. You must dominate the snake, Satan, sin. So you've been given this authority. That's part of what makes you the image and likeness of God. And God chose to do this. It is good in his sight. We are created in the image of God and we're not mere uh, animals. Godly men should act godly, not like animals. It's unfortunately that the evolution is... My degree is in geology, so I've studied this junk exclusively, and it is very much junk. I studied it so exclusively my freshman and sophomore year, I made made my own head spin. But we didn't evolve from monkeys. And just as a side note for evolution, technically it's a hypothesis. There's a thing called a scientific principle. And that means as you observe something and you try to explain it, that becomes a hypothesis. So you start testing it to prove your hypothesis. Then, then it can graduate to a stage called a theory. And the theory means you can test it and prove it. And in order to be a theory, you've got to be able to predict the outcome. And then once you can predict it, you take another step up in the scientific process and it can actually become a law. There are very few scientific laws because of rates of decay and consistencies, blah, blah, blah. So really, evolution is nothing more than a hypothesis that some monkey-minded man came up with but now it's so accepted it's considered fact and law, though they have to completely reject their scientific principles and process to call it a law when it's still a hypothesis. Because number one, you can't test evolution, nor can you predict it. Amen. Because honestly, like I always use with homosexuality, they say homosexuality is genetic, but yet if it were, there'd never, it would never exist because evolution would weed it out. And yet, so you have this big contradiction of terms. You know, we're not monkeys. We didn't come from monkeys. We came from Jesus Christ. And you just have to keep that in mind. God spoke the animals into existence, and that was good enough for him. And then he said, let me make man, and let me form woman, and let me breathe into them the breath of life, and let me fellowship with them. What we're seeing in America is people have more love and affection for animals than they do mankind. And you'll do more jail time for killing a stray dog than you will your neighbor. They'll arrest you quicker for that than they will for shooting your neighbor. What we're seeing is man worshiping the creation more than the creator, and it's all rebellion. And I'm very much against you loving animals more than man. In America, the pet industry is multiple, multiple billions of dollars a year. I have a rule of thumb. If you can't afford gas or or food, you you can't afford a dog. So get rid of it. That's me as your pastor trying to help you. You cannot afford groceries. You can't afford gas. You can't afford rent. You can't afford a dog. And yet people will fight for their dogs. This is all part of the creation of man. Man came first. God made man. God loved man. God died for man. God didn't die for your dog, your cat. How come we got this thing all messed up? You've got to take it back to the book of the beginnings to understand how all this works. But if you can't afford something, get rid of your animals. That's just another dumb mouth to feed. And the thing is, you've got to watch and make sure your heart of affections doesn't get all weird set on it anyway. This offends people in this country. I've, I get hit all the time because I take a stand like this. But Jesus Christ didn't die for dogs, and I'm not sent to preach the gospel to dogs. I'm sent to preach the gospel to you. And we just get all these distractions going on in our life. Look at Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Notice he didn't form a dog or a cat. 
The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So notice what I want to bring out of this verse. Not only is man made in a different form from animals, and the rest of creation, so a different, we look like we look like. Because the Bible lets us know that God has arms, God has a mouth, God has eyes. In that regard, our form, our similitude is the form of God. When, Je when Moses saw God on the mountain, he looked like a man. That was the form he took. Now, God is a spirit, and we're not saying that up in heaven there's this big, you know, man-looking thing. But whatever, for whatever it is, God has hands, he has feet, he has the eyes of the Lord, the mouth of the Lord, the ears of the Lord. So there, there is a form there. Not only is man in a different form than every other creature, but then he was created in a totally different process. Once God made us, he breathed into us the breath of life. God spoke the stars, the planets, the birds, the fish, the animals, the oceans, and even the heavens into existence. But man did God form. God formed us. He didn't speak us into existence. He formed us. Later on in Genesis, we covered this in the godly women. He built woman. Man was formed, but woman was built. So even between men and women, there are two different forms of creation in the beginning. And it should be apparent. You look at the pretty ladies in our church right now, and then you look at the ugly men. We're built differently. <laughs> There's a different process that goes in here. And thank God women are different than us men, because if it was a bunch of men and, and the women look like men, then it'd be weird. Amen. I like the fact that my wife has smooth legs because I, I don't want to be rubbing legs with some hairy thing. That's, that's monkey-esque. So we men were built differently. We're formed. <coughs> Women were built, but we're both breathed into us the breath of life. Animals don't have the breath of life. You will not see your dog in heaven. Ecclesiastes says dogs go to hell. It does. It says they descendeth to the pit. The pit is Sheol, hell. Sorry, you're not going to see Fido in heaven. You're not going to see rascals or winkies or whiskers. Once they're dead, they're toast. Stop worshiping your pet. Man, God's man's best friend is never intended to be a dog. It's supposed to be the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, let him be your best friend. So we got to grow up in some things. As we look at the word and hold ourselves to the word of God, you realize how far we're off the word of God, though we're still confessing Jesus as Lord. That's why we come to church, so we can be trained and keep our mind washed with the water of the word so we can stay where we need to be because the world does not shut off. The world never stops trying to pull you or push you away from God. And we come to church three, four times a week, and we've got to be able to be doers of the word and say, you know what, heart, you're getting way too attached to this little gerbil. You know what, heart? You're way too much in love with this pet rock. And he's got a cold heart, and he'll never return your love. The reason folks love animals so much, well, not cats, because they're useless, but a dog, <laughs> amen, it's good preaching. I'm still marvel why Noah didn't throw him off the boat, you know. He, maybe you did, and the Lord threw him back on. But they love dogs because dogs unconditionally love. But so does Jesus Christ but you allow a dog to become more real to you than Jesus Christ. And if you let Jesus Christ be real to you, you would need Fido. Now, I'm not against dogs. I love dogs. But when your heart starts being more affectioned toward an, towards an animal than God, you have made yourself a new God. And this God's going to pee on your carpet and chew your stuff up and get ticks and then get hit by a car one day. Did you know you can now have plastic surgery done to your dog? 
Did you know you can now get insurance for your dog? And yet we're supposed to be using that money to preach the gospel. The average, I, would, I would like to see a church do a statistic, but I would bet the average Christian in America spends more money on their dog than they do world missions. And for that, you will be judged. I'm not going to get to heaven and the Lord say, you only gave $10,000 in your life to world missions, but you gave $90,000 to all the animals you had. And the Lord will say, and I told Peter he could eat any of them. And instead, you decided to love them and invest in them. Not going to be happening to me. Oh, no. Let's keep reading here. I don't know how we're talking about animals when we're supposed to be on godly men. But somebody here's heart's wrong with God. So get over it. <laughs> but man, God formed. And after he formed him, he breathed into him the breath of life. Framed from dirt, but quickened by the breath of God. That should humble you. You're nothing but dirt. That's really technically all you are. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You will take the dirt nap one day if Jesus doesn't come back for you and your body will return to the soil. You're made up of a lot of minerals, mostly water and tissue and fat and then there's some minerals in your bones and your teeth and that's about it. And you'll go back to the earth. But what makes us alive is that God breathes into us the breath of life. So men and women, but men, we're different. We're different than the animals. It, it, to me, back to the animals, people will let animals run their life. They make decisions. We can't go on vacation because of Fido. You're stupid. Don't mean to insult you, but you're stupid. You can't take a vacation with your family because of your animals. I have a 22 cent solution. I'll go to jail for it because, you know, we worship animals more than we do uh, than we love humans. But I like what one, one man said. He said, back in the day, you went out of town. What you did is you tied your dog to a tree put a big bowl of food, big bowl of water. You came back five days later, he was tied up to the tree, the bowl had been knocked over, the water's done, and he was okay. <laughs> but now we got puppy day spas and puppy kennels and puppy massage therapy and puppy what? Let me remind you, hopefully I can offend you and put some reality into you. Your favorite puppy, you know how they got that breed? By taking all the coals, putting them in a burlap sack and throwing them in the pond. That's how they made your favorite species of mutt that you paid $900 for with the AKC registration. And I don't know why we're talking about this. Your little Shih Tzu that you love so much, they bred that species, that breed, by taking the ones they didn't like, putting them in a burlap sack, tying it up, putting a brick to it, and throwing it in the pond. That's called culling the litter. It was called a cull. Or they just shot it in the head. And it still goes on today. Sorry. You can't save mankind when you're chasing animals. And you are a different species altogether than an animal. And God cares nothing about your animal. Not when it comes to eternity. Not when it comes to eternity. And why are we so easily distracted from the gospel of Jesus Christ by animals? Now, you know, God loves you. And if you want a dog, get a dog. If your kid wants a bunny, get him a bunny. But don't you dare serve that over Jesus Christ. And let your heart of affection and emotion set on it. And you don't even care about your neighbor who's going to hell. The neighbor who will spend eternity in or outside the presence of God and maybe depending on you. Something's wrong with this nation. When overseas, they eat our pets for dinner. And that horrifies us. You would eat a dog for dinner? Yeah, it tastes really good, especially with chicken chow mein. Oh, my God. Put some soy sauce on it. Hoorah. <laughs> your heart's messed up. I'm sorry. There's no other kind way to put it. You're worshiping animals and you are not an animal. You're a man and you're supposed to lead. 
And you're supposed to dictate things in your life that are of God and things that are not of God, of the Satan, of the devil. You take, you take authority over it and you run it out. You control things because you've been given spirit and you've been given dominion. Nobody can blame anybody for anything in their life. Like I say in this church, I don't care about your past. But don't you dare use it as an excuse either. Every one of us has scars. Every one of us men have been hurt. We failed at something. But you are the way you are today because you will not take dominion over what's wrong in your life. That's the same dominion Jesus Christ gave Adam in the beginning. And you are your own worst enemy because you will not take authority over what's going on in your life. You're too busy chasing distractions. So let me see if I can get back to our curricula here. It's the difference between my wife and I. She can teach and stay on the lesson. I teach and I get into the pastor's office and I start pastoring rather than just teaching. 1 Timothy 2.13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Sorry, ladies. I know you think you come first. I know you think you're equal to men. I know you think you're better than men. Not so. You are exactly what God made you to be and that should be awesome. Don't let feminism or lesbianism try to tell you that you're just as strong as a man because we'll go out, fight, out back and we'll fight and I'll prove you're wrong. <laughs> now you can be a lot smarter than us, praise God, but you do stuff we can't do like bear children. You have a, a soft touch that you, we, we need. We, God made man and he made woman because we're to balance each other. And hopefully we're going to show you ladies as you sit in on this class to see what men are going to be. You're going to say, I don't want to be a man. And we'll say, thank God. And hopefully you men that sat in on the godly women, you didn't say, oh, I just like being a woman. No, 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 no. Come to every one of these classes. We're going to say this is what you're designed to be and be it. Nothing worse than something designed to be something and it doesn't want to be it. That's rebellion. I don't want to be a man. I want to be something else. Well, that's rebellion. God made you to be a man. So be a man. Adam was made first, then the woman. There is something different, special, needful, and important in the eyes of God concerning man. God has placed great responsibility in the hands of man, and men must rise to the occasion. Man was made first, so man, you must rise to the occasion. Do not be lazy. Don't be softy. Don't be sensitive. Because even Corinthians says, effeminate, the effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, whether the kingdom of God means heaven, I don't believe it does. I think it means power and authority in the earth today. You've got to be a man. Why would Corinthians say, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor whoremongers, nor effeminate, Go on, it goes on list two or three verses of, of characteristics. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. You won't walk in the authority because if you're being a soft man, if you're being what we used to call in the late 90s, early 2000s, metrosexual, you're not exercising dominion over your flesh. Men should be men. Women should be women. There's something with a, with a woman when she walks around and looks like a man. That's not right. Women are designed to be women. You, put, you see it in little girls, they just start developing and they're soft and like pink and they like the softer colors and they like, they snuggle with everything. They get the cat and they squeeze the cat really tight and they get the dog and they squeeze the dog and the boy, he goes around and kicks the cat and he kicks the dog and he likes brown and he likes black and he likes dirt. It's in little children from their little children, but it takes a culture to strip you and rape you from it. Amen. That's why we got to bring it back to the word. And if it's in the word and it's not in you, take dominion over yourself and dictate to your flesh. Flesh, mind, soul, we don't line up with the blueprint. Something's broken.
Let me get the blueprint back working in my life again. Let me go back to kicking the dog and kicking the cat and liking Brown instead of being all soft and sashaying around town. My God, be a man. <laughs> Created to serve fellowship and produce life. We're just talking about the creation of man. Really, we're just getting warmed up for the next seven, eight, nine weeks. Man was created for three primary reasons. So here we go, men. This also applies to women, but we're dealing with man. To fellowship with God, to serve God, and to produce life in the earth. Now, this is one of the reasons why homosexuality is running rampant. Homosexuality cannot produce anything. It stops with it. So you've got to be careful. And, and what you also see in our nation is nobody wants to have children anymore. Women want a career. Women think, women have been trained that if you have children, you're weak. And the feminist doctrine says if you have kids, then you're a useless woman and you gave in to being a woman. I've got the plumbing for it. Uh, I have mammary glands. I was designed to give birth to babies and breastfeed them. That's why we say feminist is anti-woman. Feminism hates women. And it wants to be a man. Yet it hates men too. So where are you? lost. Only the devil could come up with something so confusing and yet sell it. And people buy it by the truckload. I hate being a woman, but I hate men. So what I am is something weird and contrary in between. And in the beginning, the blueprint was so simple. A man is a man and a woman is a woman and a man is a hunter and a, and a gatherer and a provider. And the woman is a tender to care and provide for and soft and loving. The man's burly. I, <laughs> I guess it took 6,000 years of man sinning to goof this little simple thing up. But that's what the Bible says in Isaiah. They call evil good and good evil. They twist everything. And the more they say it, the more you'll believe it. That's why we have to bring it back to the word. You're created for three reasons. Fellowship with God. Serve God. Produce life in the earth. Look at Genesis 2, 19. Well, actually, we've got a couple verses there that pull all this together. And God blessed them and God said to them, that's fellowship. When God blesses you and talks to you, that's fellowship. And the Lord God commanded them, that's servanthood. And God brought them, the animals, unto Adam to see what he would call them. That's servanthood and fellowship. He, God brought an animal to Adam and said, what do you call this, Adam? And the Bible says, and whatever Adam called it, that was the name of it. That's both fellowship, Adam and God talking about what they're working on. And then at the same time, God or Adam serving God and telling God, God, we're going to call this a giraffe. And God says, all right, write it down in heaven. That's a giraffe. What, what power, what amazing authority that God would make a man then want to fellowship with him and then have the man have such dominion that whatever man says on the earth, God records it and says, so be it. Because God could have just as easy said, all right, Adam, this is what I just made. It's a giraffe. That's a hippopotamus. That's an aardvark. That's an eagle. That's a skunk. That's a porcupine. And Adam would have said, uh-huh, uh-huh. But no, God gave man this dominion, and he said, whatever you call it, that's how it will be. That's part of your dominion, men. Whatever you call it, that's how it will be. And God honors that to this day. You say, my marriage isn't working. You can have it. I'll never make it. You can have it. Nobody likes me, and we won't. Because you have that kind of dominion. And heaven will step back and say, they're forming their own world. They're calling things like they want it to be, and that's the dominion we've given them. Nobody understands me. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody likes me. My marriage will never work. My wife will never love me. My kids don't respect me. And that's all you say. You're calling a porcupine a porcupine. If you don't want it to be a porcupine, call it something else. 
You have that dominion and authority. And God will honor it. Because he says you're snared by the words of your mouth. And you'll eat good by them. And life and death is in them. And this is your dominion. And man, uh, we'll just, you know, get a, throw it out there because we'll talk about it later. You're responsible for your family and your marriage. And as you say in your marriage, is it supposed to go? And if you won't rise up and take authority, the devil will sneak in there and he'll take authority. In fact, even Peter told the pastors in 2 Peter, he said, take the oversight of the flock. Well, you could say your family is your flock. And if you don't take the oversight, then it's kind of understood in that text. Somebody else will. If a pastor won't be a strong pastor and take the oversight, then some idiot will come in and start stealing it. So if, if a pastor doesn't watch for the local flock, then a wolf will come in, start moving among the sheep because the pastor's too weak and scared to use the dominion of his staff. Husbands, fathers, you have dominion. You should be looking to exercise it. You should be looking to watch over your children, watch over your wife, see how their countenance goes. See, is everything in your family and your home lining up with the word of God? And if it's supposed to be a porcupine, but it's looking like a skunk, you say, no, I want a porcupine in my home. Skunk, you get out. No, I want joy in my home. Uh, strife, you get out. I want peace in my home. Chaos, you get out. It's your responsibility. That's the dominion you've been given from the beginning. You're created differently and you have authority over everything God has made. If you'll get after it. That's what we're going to look at in the next two weeks. The man of authority and the attributes of Ahab. Ahab did not realize the authority given to him. Therefore, he was always giving it to somebody else. Somebody else always owned Ahab, the king. Somebody else was always telling Ahab how it was going to be. And he was saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Men, you cannot be yes men when it becomes your responsibility. You can be obedient on the job. You can be obedient in the local church. Be obedient before a judge or the police officer. But when it's your domain, you are to exercise dominion and say, this is my home. These are our finances. These are our children. It's going to be this way, devil. You take your hand off of it. Otherwise, you'll be owned. You'll be a slave to the world. And God did not design you to be a slave to the world. When he made you men, he made you over the world. So don't forget this. Whatsoever he, uh, he called them, every living creature, that was the name thereof. God created man so that man would fellowship with him. In the beginning, God was fellowshipping with Adam and Eve and seeing what they would do and what Adam would call things. Whatever God, uh, Adam called them, God honored it and called it by the, same, by the name Adam called it. There was a relationship and there was fellowship. God is still looking for that in us today. He's looking for fellowship with us men. He's looking for a relationship with us. I would even tell you, even if your wife or children refuse to serve God, you keep serving God and they'll see it in you. But don't start serving God too late like Lot did. Lot used to serve God when he was serving his, his uncle Abraham. And then he decided to stop serving God and pursue politics. You go study Genesis, he's living down in Sodom and he's sitting at the gates, which represents city council and uh, advisory meetings and political stuff for the city of Sodom. And so years later, when God's ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, the region, the cities roundabout, Lot remembers the God of his uncle Abraham and he starts preaching. And he says, we got to serve God, guys, we got to get out of town. And the Bible says that Lot seemed as to his sons-in-laws as one that mocked. When did, when did old father-in-law get religion? What is he talking about? He's never talked about God around us. He's never been interested in God. And all of a sudden he's talking about God. He, he was part of our political deciding factor around here. And now he wants to get serious about God. 
When did this happen? And the Bible says, and he seemed to his sons-in-laws as one that mocked. And if you'll study the story, you'll find out those sons-in-laws and his daughters, they stayed behind and they were destroyed. So, Father, you got to serve God. He, at least he continued to serve God. He left. He obeyed the angels and he left. But it was too late because he lost his entire family. His wife became a pillar of salt and his two daughters had incestuous sex with him. Got him drunk and in a sense raped their own dad. Don't wait too late to start serving God. He's still looking for this today. He is still looking for fellowship, a relationship. He's looking for you to work with him in the things he's given you in the earth. That's what makes you so special, man. God wants to work with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you things he wants to do in the earth and then let you declare them. I mean, I don't know why God decided to do it that way. I don't know why God chose to speak to man. Even Psalm, uh, Psalm 8 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? You made him, you formed him, you crowned him, you made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned him with glory and honor. And it says, And you gave him dominion over all the works of your hand. Why God did it, I don't have a clue. He gave us dominion. He gave us the responsibility, men. You better do something with it. Don't be irresponsible with what God's given you. Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. This is labor. Men, you're supposed to be working with and for God. You're supposed to be working in God's garden. God didn't make Adam and put him in a garden. The angels came and fed, fanned him with their wings and fed him cherries and fed him grapes and said, Oh, Adam, just sit there in the cool and do nothing. God made a garden and said, Adam, get to work. Still going on today. Yet we have some pretty lazy men who don't want to do anything anywhere for anybody. Like the proverb says, the lazy man won't even lift his hand to his mouth to feed him. Pretty shiftless. Men were called to work. God placed the man in his garden. God honored the man by giving him something to do for him. Men, this is an honor. God would give you something to do at home, give you something to do in the local church. This is an honor. Can, can you imagine the president of the United States calls you up, says, Greg Dingwall, I'd like you to do something for me. President Obama called me up. I mean, I don't even like his politics, but the president called me up and he wants me to come give him a trombone lesson. Would you not be honored? Wow. Even if you don't like the, the party he represents or what he's doing, you would still be honored. How much more the living God, who we do well to agree with, <laughs> calls you up and says, Greg Dingwall, I'd like you to play the trombone for me in my worship team. Greg Dingwall, I'd like you uh, to witness to that person for me because I can't win them for me. Only you can. That would be an honor. Uh, Greg Dingwall, I would like you to help a pastor fulfill the vision. Greg Dingwall, I'd like you to lead your family for me. What an honor that God would call you men up and say, lead for me, help me. Now, I don't know how that fits in my doctrine that God needs our help because I'd say he doesn't. But he still says, will you help me? Will you do something for me? Will you intercede on my behalf so that I don't have to destroy somebody? That's a powerful honor. And what we've been taught, men, by our nation and our culture in Hollywood is to poo-poo upon the great honors God has given mankind and say, no, God, I'm too busy for you. No, God, it's dumb to serve God. It's vain to serve God. Because that's what the hearts all through the Bible said. It is vain to serve God. It is vain to keep his statutes. It's vain to keep his commandments. That God would honor us men, make us first, make us the leader, give us the dominion, and then ask us to do something for him, to work in his garden. That God would say, I'd like you uh, to prune my fig trees for me. I'd like you to harvest my grapes for me. I'd like you to do something in my garden for me. God, you'd pick me? 
That's a humble heart. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to fight men as I'm sorry, Lord, I'm too busy. I'm sorry, Lord, it's not that important to me. I'm sorry, Lord, this man over here, he honored me and his honor is greater to me than your honor is. We've got to keep in mind who we are. God honored man by giving him something to do for him. This is still true today. God honors us by giving us something to do for him. We should honor him in return by doing an excellent job for him. Whatever God's given you to do, do it with the best of your ability. Whether it's working on the job, working for the president, working in the school system, working in the local church. If it's a checkbook, keep your checkbook balance. If he's given you an apartment, take care of it. If he's given you a home, take care of it. If he's given you a car, that's a stewardship, take care of it. Do it with excellence. Genesis 128a, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. This is our third point. God made man to bring life into the earth. God commanded man to be fruitful. Life produces fruit. We could talk about that's not just children, but it's also Christian fruit. Winning people for Jesus, building the kingdom. Men, you're commanded to do something for God and to bring life into his garden. When you fellowship with God and labor for him, you will automatically uh, but produce life everywhere you go. Life begats life. Now watch this, church. Depressed, discouraged, dried up people don't produce life. They suck it out of people. Depressed, discouraged, dried up people don't produce life. They suck it out of people. Walk with God and produce life. Now we're supposed to be so full of life, we can get around depressed, discouraged people and they can suck it out of us and it gives them something. And then we bring them to the altars of God and say, now you walk with God for yourself. But if you've been around here five, 10 years, you're born again five, 10 years, you should not still be sucking life out of people like you did when you first got saved and went through hell the first time. You ought to have some endurance about you. Know how to come to the altar on your own. Know how to seek God at home on your own. You ought to be able, be able to walk with God on your own and find your own life. And if you'll do this everywhere you go, you'll be a tree of life that people can come and partake of. And they say, where did you get this? And you say, Jesus, let me introduce you to him. You've been eating my fruit long enough. Let me show you Jesus' fruit. Three things we're commanded to do. Labor, fellowship, produce life. From the beginning. That's why you're here, men. You're here to fellowship, to work, and to produce life. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. The first five commandments, I like this part. I saw this for the first time when I was writing this a couple weeks ago. Genesis also records the first commands from God to man. So men, you want to know what you're commanded to do? We're going to see it here. These first few commandments can reveal some very interesting facts about the plan of God for us as men and women. So if you want to know the plan of God for your life, men, well, you're about to see it. It's not very specific in that it doesn't tell you what you're going to do in five years, but you're going to do all five of these for the next five years, and then you'll find out something more. And we get them all from verse 28 in Genesis 1. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. Those are your first five commandments. And they've not stopped. So let's take a look at what, these, what we can get from these five commands. Be fruitful. Well, duh, we're still called to be fruitful. Uh, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said in John's Gospel, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So you're still to be fruitful, men. Christian fruit, not perverted fruit, not pornographic fruit, not lustful fruit, not embezzlement fruit, not drug addiction fruit, God's fruit. Not stinkberry fruit, according to Isaiah 8 and 9, but godly fruit. You're still commanded to bear fruit. So you get up in the morning, Lord, what am I going to do today? Shut up and bear fruit. Lord, I don't know what to do today. You can't say that after this morning. 
I got to get up and bear some fruit for Jesus. What's the second command? Multiply. We're still commanded to multiply. We are to reproduce who we are through evangelism and discipleship. You're to multiply who you are. Here's the thing. You will reproduce who you are. If you're goofy and weird, you'll be drawn to goofy and weird people and there's strength in numbers and you'll gather more to your little cult. But if you walk with Jesus Christ and you walk with the word and you walk with the spirit, you'll multiply who you are. You'll, you'll make disciples. You'll get around people on the job and you'll rub off on them and they'll say, I want to walk with God like that Miss Wanda does. Oh my gosh, she just convicts me. She just loves Jesus so much. And all of a sudden you got two coworkers hanging out with you at lunch and you're discipling them. That's multiplication. That, that Michael, man, he's got such peace about him. And I always see him studying his Bible. Lord, oh my gosh. I, and all of a sudden, Michael's got three guys he's talking to every two or three weeks at lunch. And he's multiplying. He's reproducing himself in that regard. You multiply who you are through evangelism and discipleship. You ought to be responsible for taking at least one person to heaven with you through evangelism. One man said, it doesn't matter what you do on the earth. All that matters is how many people you take with you. That's you multiplying. Replenish the earth. Third command. The earth was once filled with God's glory. We are to bring back the glory of God by walking as new creations, preaching the kingdom of our God and Savior. We are to replenish the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could say we got to replenish this region with the gospel of Jesus Christ because this region has lost it. Now we're fighting to take it back. We could say our nation has lost it. When we're given homosexuals special rights and, and all sorts of goofiness and killing babies and, and now we're exalting transgender operations and weirdness like that and trying to make it normal and accepting and now they're giving hormone treatment to little children who think they've been born into the wrong body. We have lost it. We've got to replenish the earth. Like a five-year-old knows whether they should be a boy or go spank them. You're a little girl. Be a little girl. I want to be a girl. You're a boy. Shut up. I'm going to spank you again. Like, children don't even know what they're going to eat, and you're going to give them hormone the therapy when they're five and six? We're messed up. Psychology's helped a whole lot, too, and bad pulpits have. Lukewarm, donut church-preaching pulpits have helped ruin this country. We're to replenish it by being the strongest Christian you know how, and God help you if you don't do what you know to do. This is the end times, man. We got to win people for Jesus. We got to be the brightest burning light we know how to be to help as many people as we can. Fourth commandment, subdue it. That talks about authority. Subdue means uh, to bring something into subjection. There are some, still some things out of line that need to be brought back into line. So if your, th your thoughts are out of line, you've got to subdue your thoughts. If your household's out of line, you've got to subdue your household. If your marriage is out of line, bring your marriage in line. Your children are out of line, bring your children in line. If, if your flesh is out of line, subdue your flesh. This is a command. What am I going to do this morning? You're going to get over your emotions first. You're going to subdue them and exercise authority over them. You've been given authority. That's probably one of the greatest teachings that has been brought back to the body of Christ is that we as Christians have authority. The devil stole that revelation from us because then we just said, Que sera, sera. It must be God's will. I was hit by a truck. It wasn't God's will. You were driving too fast. Well, it must be God's will that my mother died of cancer. Not God's will. How come you guys weren't praying? Well, see, in all this stuff, we just had to go with the flow of life. The flow of life is the God of this world who is Satan. We have authority over him. We are to exercise it and fight him every place he breaks out. And it doesn't come with laziness. So you got to subdue it. The fifth command is dominion. Dominion sounds very similar, but basically it means once you subdue it, you keep it subdued. 
To subdue means you subject or sub, uh, subordinate or submit something to you. Dominion means you keep it under your foot. To have dominion, maintain your victory, enforce it. Once you subdue something, maintain the victory through your God-given authority. Uh-uh, son, I told you, get to your room. You come out again, I'm going to spank you again. That's dominion. Sub subduing is, son, come here, you're going to get spanked because I told you not to three times, you did it. I told you I'd spank you. I spank you and I go to your room and don't come out of there. You come out again, I'm going to spank you. That's dominion. You're exercising your dominion. This takes work, man. You know how it is. You know how a stubborn child is. You discipline, discipline, and they squeal, and they stay in line for a minute, then they get back out. They stay in line for a minute, then they get back out. Dominion keeps them back in line. And you've got to do this. The psalmist summary. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and hast put all things under his feet. Right there in Psalm 8, we see this whole lesson summarized in three verses, which is pretty cool if you think about it. In three verses, you see this whole lesson summarized. You made man, you visited him, you crowned him with glory and honor, you fellowshiped with him, and then you gave him dominion. The psalmist summed it all up here. God made man not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And the Lord God is mindful of us. He wants to visit and fellowship with us. He wants to speak to us and interject himself into our lives. But if you don't let him, he won't. He has crowned us with his glory and his honor. And if that alone wasn't a great enough honor, he gave us his authority and his dominion over all things. And we are to serve him and not ourselves. So that is our introduction to the next eight weeks that one, I think, is the most general. They're going to start getting very specific, and I think you're going to see some awesome things. What I see us coming through with this is we men, not like short men, but us men, coming out of here with a bigger fight in us to do what's right, to stand up, to be men of authority, to take dominion, to take a leadership control, and to do what we're called to do rather than being pushy, pushover, panty-waisted Americans, which is what we've been trained to be. You're going to come out of this man going, I need to pray more. I need to work more. I need, to I need to speak to things more. I need to lead more. And it'll bless your life even in the natural. So love you guys. Hope you got something out of it. Love you ladies too. We'll get ready for service in 15.